Welcome to the Wheels in Motion podcast. Today we're going to talk about the effects of the coronavirus on the automotive supply chain. Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Carter Logistics. And today's topic, we're going to talk about, uh, first of all, the shutdown in the middle of the March by the OEMs of the supply chain. Uh, the, key, the key part of this is going to be the opening, the reopening. The OEMs are used to closing down for a week, two weeks around Christmas, but a two-month closure is normally unprecedented. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, May opening and specifically about its effect on the Tier 1 and the Tier 2 network. Today, as our expert, we've got Ted Boley, who has spent over 18 years in the supply chain industry, heading up operations and also in a sales capacity. I kind of like to refer to Ted uh, as the Bradley Jackson of Carter where if any of you have seen the show, The Morning Show, Bradley Jackson is Jennifer Aniston's sidekick. You don't know exactly what Bradley Jackson will say. She'll always go off script. So today should be very interesting with Ted. And as those uh, listeners out there that know Ted, you know that he could be very entertaining. With that intro, let's get into why the listeners are here. Ted, you were in the industry in 2009 with a downturn. We know it's the same as to the uncertainty of the economy, but talk to us a little bit about the workforce. Well, Dick, thanks for that intro. That was a really good intro. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, keep that with me for a long time. Um, no, it's not the same. Um, some of the problems that uh, are different uh, in this state is the children have been uh, taken out of school and they're working, for, they're doing school from home. Uh, the daycare issues, there's been daycares that have been shut down and they're over capacity. So at least the parents, uh, the parents that are actually both working in today's workforce, one of them has to stay home and stay with the kids uh, and if their work will allow them to stay home and work from home and telecommute uh, in, that, in that process. Um, also, there's been a lot of e-learning uh, been going on, uh, e-learning with the kids uh, from, you know, from preschool all the way up to college. Uh, and that's been causing some problems with inter internet bandwidth, which, you know, at my house, I've got, you know, two kids on iPads and myself on work and my wife on work. And sometimes there's a little bit of congestion. There's this bandwidth that gets really slow. Um, the next thing is we, we all did an Easter this year, probably via Zoom, which is totally unprecedented. In fact, the Easter egg hunt was, was impossible. I never found all my eggs. <laughs> so, uh, well, hopefully we'll find them in the next Zoom meeting we have. Hopefully not uh, for Memorial Day or, or Fourth of July. Um, the next thing is uh, there's been a six-foot distancing uh, put into effect, which was, again, unprecedented. And it's changing the way we're living our lives, changing the way we, we eat at home, changing the way we interact with people. Um, you know, there's people that are having you know, parties on the streets where they, you know, everybody's sitting at the end of their driveways. Things that just, you know, are totally different than what they used to be. And again, the working at home. The home office, uh, 
don't have that interaction with the the normal people that we do day to day in our operations. So it's kind of had to change some processes and, and, and ways we interact with our uh, coworkers inside of the, the uh, work environment. Thanks, Ted. It's good to hear. Um, on the regulatory side, uh, there's within obviously we hear uh, President Trump and uh, Cuomo talk day in and day out, bantering back and forth as far as who has responsibility for the uh, kickstarting of this economy. Uh, as it turns out, it, it looks like the governors, and with the governors having the ability to kickstart the economy, each state is prepared in different fa fashions for this restart. Some states will be slower than others, and other states will, are ready right now. Uh, but with this, uh, the tier two supply chain and the tier one plants all come from these different states. So it'll be very difficult when the OEMs kick off to make sure that their supply chain is ready and is uh, functioning properly to make sure that those plants don't shut down. So this is going to be a monumental effort by everybody involved in the supply chain to make sure that we kick off the plants at the same time. The second issue is the legal issue. Uh, another, another great time to be a lawyer within the U.S. I mean, I, everything that comes up, it seems like it pads the lawyer's pocketbook. This is another one. Uh, the coronavirus uh, at work, there's going to be a major topic. You know, you've got, the, you've got the social distancing. Did the company practice social distancing? Did they not? You got the PPE, you got, did they provide the right supplies? Did companies provide the right supplies to their employees? Did they not? Then you've got the essential work category where a lot of people will be staying at home for what Ted was saying is they, they may have children at home that need care. Daycare, daycare organizations may be closed. And because of that, the whole environment may change is that you may have people staying at home and there's going to be this dispute as to essential work at, at the um, company of employment or if they can work at home. Ted, I'd like to, like to have you address three major issues on bringing back the plants to work. One is bringing the workforce back. The second item I'd like you to address is the PPE distancing. And the third item is launching the supply chain. Uh, so first of all, bringing the workforce back, what type of hurdles and what type of obstacles do you see in bringing the workforce back? Thanks, Dick. Um, most employees uh, have been laid off at the tier one, tier two levels um, are actually getting benefits from their, their companies. So there's somewhat of an incentive for them to come back, come back to work. So that's we don't really think that's going to be a big issue, especially in the tier one. But on the tier two markets where the pay uh, isn't as high, uh, there might be some uh, less incentive for them to come back due to some extra bonuses they're getting on um, as for the, uh, the belief is that the people want to work and they rather, uh, be working than staying at home and getting the benefits and getting back to the interaction with their normal, uh, work life and their other employees that they have. Thus all the demonstrations that we're seeing out there, Correct. uh, that the people want to get back to work. It's in their blood. Hopefully we'll see that. Let's discuss uh, production facilities and gearing up for the restart at the production facilities of the tier ones. So the foremost important thing is uh, protection. Uh, 
uh, making sure that uh, their workstations have that six foot distancing uh, away from each other, that they have their proper PPE equipment, which the PPE equipment before the coronavirus is one thing. Now we're under a whole different thing. So we're talking about face shields, we're talking about gloves, we're talking about garments to wear over our clothes and so on and so forth. Um, there's not a lot of stay at home jobs in the factories. Uh, so a lot of those people that are working in the factories are actually putting things together, whereas it's impossible for them to work, work from home, such as that administration job. Um, safety departments uh, have changed quite a bit. In fact, there's probably what's keeping them up at night because uh, when this does launch, the safety department's gonna have to make sure that all this stuff is instilled and is followed throughout the whole organization, no matter what may entail. There's actually some organizations that have actually published playbooks that are guides uh, and they've made it uh, available to other people so that they're not just keeping it in house. They're trying to, it's a kind of a collaboration between organizations, which is a good thing. And that's one thing I do want to point out. During this whole thing, I think people look back and said, hey, collaboration is a good thing. We do need to have other people around. It's good to interact with other people. That's one thing I think has been really good that's come out of this whole terrible scenario that we're in right now. Okay. Well, that's that's good information, Ted. You know, let's. The reason we're here today is really to talk about the supply chain that's out there, and I'd like you to touch a little bit on the supply chain and how tier ones are being pre getting prepared to launch their supply chain. Well, that's a that's a good question. Being prepared because they're right now it's a floating window. Um, dates keep changing, so on and so forth. If you look at it in a simple effect. Tier one would have to have um, their parts ready to go a week before the OEM would start up. Then on top of that, you got the tier twos that would have to have basically parts ready to go the week before the tier one. So there's kind of like a two week lag. So with all this floating dates and back and forth, it's kind of impossible for them to plan. So they're having to be reactive, which is going to cause abnormal situations to happen, uh, not just in freight, but in damage, lost material, so on and so forth. Um, then we have the, the freight you know, sitting at docks that wasn't actually delivered uh, to the locations because there was no one to uh, unload the trucks at the time. So we got to see where, where, where we are on that and see what's in their pipeline and see what's in their working process inside the, inside the supply chain. Um, next thing is we're gonna have to be ready for the unexpected. Um, there's gonna be a lot of things that we, you know, everybody, this, this supplier shipped every day like clockwork now, there's gonna be issues because they only had half staff in. Uh, there's gonna be quality issues. Maybe the metal had been sitting around for a week and it got some rust on it. So they're gonna have some quality issues and so on and so forth. So those are some of the things that I see that will be happening that uh, we'll have to somewhat pre-plan for. As a transportation supplier, um, you're right in the middle of this whole supply chain um, between tier twos, tier ones, ultimately, to the OEMs. Tell us a little bit uh, how the organization is looking to support the tier ones and OEMs in this launch. That's a good question. Um, if you're an asset-based organization, you gotta make sure one, that your drivers are gonna be ready to go, that you have enough drivers to run the routes that you're gonna need. Also, you gotta make sure the equipment is ready to go. So some of this equipment's been sitting for four to eight weeks. Uh, you gotta make sure the batteries are there, that the diesel has not been, tainted and it's ready to go. Now, if you're non-asset based, you're gonna have to make sure that your your vendors are ready to go. 
making sure that they're doing all those things and making sure that their trucks are going to be ready to go and that the routes are going to be able to start when they need to. So it's going to be a little bit more complex, perhaps, for the uh, for the broker side uh, than the asset side because you kind of have a little bit more control. Now, routes and changes are going to have to be made in advance. Uh, we the idea is we want to pre-plan. We want to be proactive. We understand there's going to be some reactive that's going to have to happen, and we're going, we're ready for that. But we want to be able to be most the more proactive we can be uh, with talking with this, uh, the, our customers, the tier ones, the tier twos. The more we know about their inventory, the more communication that we can give them about what's on our dock, what's in, what's inside our trailers, whatever the case may be. Uh, I think that will be the the best thing that will happen. But we need to be the supply chain needs to be fluid. There can't be inter interruptions. So. Uh, we're going to focus on service and make sure there's no interruptions in service. So where, if you know if the, sh if the shipments have to be there tomorrow at nine o'clock, we're going to make sure that those shipments are there by nine o'clock. Now, one of the things that uh, you know sometimes we get um, uh, we get um, called for is maybe a little bit too much over communication. But I, I think right now I'd rather have a lot more over communication than not enough because you never know what may rise in the situation. Ted, I'd like to. Uh, pry into a little bit deeper your comment about the communication side. I want you to talk about your expectations of the communication of the customers to your organization, but then vice versa. What is the customer's requirement of your communication back to their organization? Yeah, I sure can. Uh, I'm going to touch on the customer to us first, what they expect. Um, what we're doing right now is we're doing daily phone calls, making sure that Everything's in cadence is all all correct. If there's any abnormal situations that happen to arise, that they can be uh, counteracted. Uh, making sure that the the timing of the startup, everybody's aware of any changes that may happen or any things that may need to happen ahead of time. Say, you know, some of our tier uh, one suppliers are actually doing aftermarket uh, production, so there might be some pickups and things that need to happen. So we're making sure we're getting the, those things taken care of. On the other side, what we owe the customer is the communication of what we know, uh, what we know of the inventory that we have on our cross docks, the inventory that we have sitting in our trailers, uh, maybe the inventory sitting at the borders, so that uh, when they can, they have all the ammunition they have. So when they have a startup, it'll be as fluid as possible, no interruptions. Um, and you know, we want to make it, we want to make this as easy as possible. Uh, we don't want to make it very difficult. So. We have, it's not just a one person to one person kind of thing. We collaborate with uh, all the different departments in our organization on these phone calls with our customers and make sure that there are no issues. So that, you know, if there's, you know, a doc person might have a different issue than a dispatcher may have. A uh, driver representative might have a different issue than a uh, dispatcher may have, so on and so forth. Um, and then the reaction when there is abnormals. We know abnormals are going to happen, but it's how you react on it. That's how you measure, is how you react to that norms. And, um, you know, even though we can't plan for everything, as long as, you know, we want to make sure that service is going to happen and that uh, we're going to be everything we can to our customer to make sure that we can have a very successful launch on this startup. Sounds like you're ready. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, just uh, someone gives a call. Uh, I would like to say that we would uh, be ready in 24 hours, but. Uh, obviously, we need a little bit more to have over 300 drivers put the, put on the road. So, yeah, well, let's talk um, about the expectations of the customer. Um, yeah, what are, what are the expectations of the tier ones of your organization? I think the 
expectations, what they should be, is they have the OEMs that they're, they have to keep happy. So right now, I think service is number one. Um, we got to make sure that, you know, the parts that are ordered, uh, if they're, you know, what, and what is picked up is correct and it gets to the end user on time so that they can not worry about that and all I have to do is worry about the production and getting it to their customer. The, again, the communication of if, there, if there's something were to happen, if there's, say, uh, someone overships and there happens to be an overflow, letting the customer know that there is an overflow, letting them, letting them choose what parts need to move and what parts can be delayed, or if it just needs to be, go ahead and send all the parts that you have. Uh, and then later on, once we get past the startup into two or three months down the road, I think there needs to be a reevaluation of the network and how, how it's transpired before coronavirus, during coronavirus, and then after, and try to figure out how it needs to look today rather than what it looked like yesterday. And talk a little bit about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is I'm three months into it. I've taken a lot of financial hits and there is a lot of pressure on my organization uh, to drive costs out of the system. What will your organization do to assist tier ones to drive costs out of the organization to try to recoup some of these financial losses that have occurred in the first quarter or the second quarter of this year? Very, very good question. Very, very good question. There's a couple things. One is still the communication. We mm -hmm. need to keep up the communication because we, we, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So we need to make sure we have that in our back pockets. The next thing is is to have a logistics team, a logistics analyst team that can do dynamic route planning, get this information, sort it all out, and lay out a plan for action, making sure that uh, suppliers are aware making sure customers are aware and making sure our drivers are aware of any changes and to, to lay that out. So we're, we're always going to have a benchmark probably before the COVID. And then we're going to have a, a benchmark after the COVID. And then we're going to have post COVID what, what's going to look like. I mean, is that going to be 40%? Is it going to be 50%? Is it going to be 60%? You know, are we ever going to get to a hundred percent production like it was before? But with that logistics analyst team, uh, that's a, it's a very good tool to have so that you can adapt with those production changes as it evolves and ebbs and flows. Okay. That's one, one important thing that your transportation provider or maybe you have in house is have that logistics team so they can look at this because you don't want this. It can, a truckload running right now with 10,000 pounds on it that's only, you know, 25% utilized gets very costly in a week where it could have only been one truckload. So it's a very important things to look at. Okay. Okay. Well, you've spent a lot of time, I know, on communicating with your customers, making sure that they're ready and you're ready for this launch. If, if I were to take away one of the most important items from your discussions, what would that be? Most important thing, and I guess we're, over, we're overkilling this, is the, is the communication piece. Um, you know, it's, I think when this first happened, we're in constant communication with plants. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know we'd be sitting here, you know, six weeks later, still not uh, running trucks to production facilities. So it's that communication and making sure that we're all in this together and we're, we're here to help. We're here to be uh, the right-hand person uh, to those uh, tier one organizations and tier, tier two organizations. That's good. That's good. 
Well, what I have heard today, and I'm going to start with your last point to sum up this discussion. One is you cannot be overprepared. Uh, and it sounds as if your organization um, is prepared to work in tandem with the tier ones to launch. And that is very important. Uh, HR, second item is HR managers and production people will be very busy in keeping the staff safe. And it's going to be imperative that they do this as we launch and as we try to extract the coronavirus from our workplace. Uh, third item is communication. The communication has to be two ways. What you're saying is the communication is going both ways. We, your organization needs the information from the tier ones and vice versa. They need to know the information back from you. The fourth item is you need to be fleet of foot. Uh, you need to be reactive. You talked about how reactive the organization would be and how important being reactive uh, to the problems of the specific minute, the specific 15 minutes. And the last item is really talking that you talked about service is going to be very important coming out of the box. But it, it's also going to be imperative on the supply chain company after we're back to a new normal, to really work with the tier ones to drive their costs out of their system so that they can meet financial targets and goals. So those are the five takeaways I took from today's podcast. I want to thank you. If people need to get in touch with you, Ted, can you give them your uh, email address and how to get a hold of you? Yep. Uh, my email address is Ted. Dot Bowley, B-O-W-L-E-Y, at carter-logistics.com. And I can be reached by phone at 765-620-9592. Also, you can always check out our website at www.carter-logistics.com. Thanks for listening to the Wheels in Motion podcast. If you have an idea for an upcoming podcast, please email us at marketing at carter-express.com. Until next time.